Well, you know what? I've felt the past few months like we together have been on a very, very long family road trip. Uh, maybe you feel that way too. Uh, not, of course, the unpleasant kind of family road trips where there's a lot of screaming and shouting and arguing and then driving an awkward silence. Not, none of that. The, the fun kind of uh, family road trip, the enjoyable kind, the one where uh, we are bonding together, the one where we have a joyful anticipation of the destination and what is to come. And so all along the way, I felt almost like uh, the little kid in the backseat who's constantly asking that question to the, to the parents, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And now we're here. Uh, but of course, the questions haven't stopped. Kids are inquisitive. The questions just changed. So now we're asking not, are we here yet? But what are we doing here? Why are we here? What do we hope to accomplish now that we're here? These are the questions that I hope to draw our attention to this morning as we look at today's passage. Why are we in this part of town, on this side of 309? Why are we in this neighborhood? Why are we gathered in this building? Why was it worth it, all of that time and all of that energy and money and sacrifice and sweat, to give up what was really convenient and comfortable and then go ahead to buy a building and move into Lansdale and, and become uncomfortable and to face the challenge of what is unknown and unfamiliar with this area. And I believe the reason is because Jesus spoke to us in Matthew 5, 13 to 16 that we are to be salt and light of the earth. But this wasn't a, a suggestion Jesus gave. Hey, if you get around to it, I'd like you to think about these things. He was telling us, this is what I've called you to be. And this is why the world so desperately needs you. And so here is our gospel truth, our one sentence summary today. The world needs you to be the kind of Christian that God has called you to be. The world needs you to be the kind of Christian that God has called you to be. And I've entitled today's sermon, What the World Needs. And as we look and study this passage, here is the outline we'll follow. Why the world is in need, what the world needs, and who the world needs. Three very simple points. Yes, I've gone back to the points. Three points. Why the world is in need, what the world needs, and who the world needs. So let's begin first with this point. Why the world is in need. You know, Jesus assumes that his followers need to be effective salt and emanating light in this world because there are two problems with the world. There are two things fundamentally wrong with the world and in the world. And the first is that the world is decaying, and the second is that the world is in darkness. This is Jesus' diagnosis of the world. So let's take a look at them one at a time. First, the world is in need because it's decaying. There's a kind of regression, a, a rotting that's happening in our society. And what do I mean by that? Well, in verse 13, if you have your Bible, you can look there. Jesus tells his followers that they are to be salt. Now, salt was used for two 
two purposes in the ancient world. It was first used as a seasoning and second as a preservative. Now we're more familiar with salt as the former, not the latter. So we know that salt covers a multitude of culinary sins. Tough steak, add salt. Dry chicken, add salt. Bland soup, add salt. You have to eat vegetables, add salt. And so salt, of course, has this enhancing ability, but I don't believe that's what Jesus is referring to. When Jesus is talking about being salt, he's talking about salt's preservative qualities. You know, at a time when there was no uh, freezers or refrigeration, meat and fish, they were kept from decaying and going bad by being salted. Salt hindered the decaying process so it preserved the good from going bad. And so when Jesus calls the believers the salt to the earth, he's equally making a claim about the condition of the world as he is making a claim about believers. Jesus is saying this world is deteriorating and it's decaying and it has ever since the fall in Genesis 3. And all of that began with the sin in us. There's not a, a place in the world, there's not a person in the world where, where sin's effect has not crept into us and, and pervasively spread its toxins. And every once in a while, we do a great job of, of keeping that kind of tucked in and, and of presenting our best externally, but every once in a while, the rottenness of the human heart comes out and is exposed. And it's mostly seen in the way that we relate to one another, we, the way we relate to one another relationally, the way that we relate to one another societally, racially. And we see in these moments, deep down inside, all the ways that we are not the way that we should be and the world is not the way it should be. You know, there's a reason why when you turn the news on and you hear of another shooting or another bombing, and we hear that news that our stomachs sink, that, that tears fill our eyes, that, that ache fills our hearts. Why? Because we, we read that and we just know this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not how a healthy, flourishing, loving society functions. This is why when we read reports of, of racism or, or sexism in any kind of case where, where the strong is taking advantage of the weak, we are filled with rage and righteous anger because we know this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not how human beings are supposed to treat one another. There is a decay in the world that begins with us. And, and here's my point again. Simply, the world is in need because it's in decay. There is sin that begins in our hearts and it leads to, to a personal decay. It leads to relational decay, societal decay, geopolitical decay, cultural decay, physical decay. It's marked our world. It's marked our existence. But the second issue with the world, the second reason the world is in need is because it's in darkness. You see, look at verse 14 where Jesus calls us the light of the world. And he's pointing out the necessity of his believers to be a light into the world that invades and penetrates the darkness of the world. That this world lives in a type of darkness, a type of ignorance to the spiritual realities around them. The fact that we are alienated from God, our maker. 
And as a result of that, we're out of sync with him. And so our whole lives are disoriented. And without knowing God, we're all blind. We all live in a kind of darkness. We don't know how to forge on ahead because we don't have our bearings right. Our, our orientation is skewed. And so the world is just full of blind people leading the blind. The only thing is that those blind people who lead just do it a little more confidently. So you think you know where they're going, but they really don't. You know, there's a recent uh, movie that came out on Netflix called Bird Box, uh, and, it, and it captures this idea well. And if you haven't seen the movie, uh, it's basically about a group of people who, who try to survive an attack by these, um, I don't know how to describe them, these entities that, that invade Earth, and if you see them with your eyes, you end up going mad and dying. And so in the movie, there's a group of people who have uh, escaped, and they're holed up in a house, uh, but slowly the supplies are running out, and they need to go to the grocery store, but if they go outside, they risk exposing themselves to these entities out in the world. And so what they do is they take a car in a garage and they, and they black the car out. They put a newspaper, they tape it, they paint it so that they can see nothing outside when they go and drive to this grocery store. And so they're in this car and they're driving completely in the dark, completely blind, completely ignorant as to what's out there. And the only guide they have is they're following the navigation system in the car. And they are clueless. They are blind to what's happening outside. And there's this one scene where it's very intense where they're in the car and they're just bumping into things. They have no idea what's going on. But then the camera zooms out and you realize it's in the middle of a bright sunny day and the car is just jerking left and right because people have no idea where they're going because they're driving in darkness. They're driving in blindness. They're ignorant. And this is an example of the kind of darkness and blindness that the world exists in. When Apostle Paul talked in Romans 1, and he said that mankind is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, he, he also said that by nature we are darkened in our foolish hearts. You know, the sad reality is that the world doesn't know it's in darkness. Because everybody is convinced that they have 20-20 vision. Everyone's convinced that they see things clearly. And the world says we are evolving, we're progressing. But if you actually look at the world as a society, we are devolving, spiraling down in ignorance. Now take, for example, the recent passing of the Reproductive Health Act in New York. Some of you may have, have heard about it, which ex significantly expands abortion rights. And so many people, in their blindness, they, they celebrated this, and they're convinced that progress is being made, when in reality, we're only moving further away from the value of human life as God has made clear in the Bible. They are living and they are operating and they are making laws and policies in darkness, in ignorance, in blindness. And this is the condition of the world into which Jesus sends us as light. You know, I, as I was preparing this this week, was thinking about this. And of course, I'm thinking about Lansdale and why we need to be here. And yesterday, as if the Lord was speaking to me and giving me a very vivid reminder, I went to the office before the church uh, renovation. And on the way back from, or not the church, the office, and on the way back from the office to this building, I was driving through past the library. And did you know at this time, while we were gathered here working on the 
church, less than a mile away, there was gathered at the very same time another gathering of protesters and demonstrators at the local library. And there were barricades set up, and there were police officers, at least 20 police officers, and at least three news stations. So naturally, as anyone does, I, I rubbernecked, I slowed down, and I went to see what all the commotion was about. Well, if you don't know, Lansdale Library right down the street was hosting a children's reading, uh, but they had invited a drag queen um, who goes by the stage name Annie Christ, which is actually a play on the words Antichrist. And so there were groups supporting the event, there were groups opposing the event, and as I drove by, I heard all the shouting and the yelling and all the back and forth, and I just thought to myself, this community desperately needs the light. There are people here who need to know the gospel. They are living in darkness. You know, and as, as the supporters cheered and in unison shouted, love trumps hate, love trumps hate, I couldn't help but just have a broken heart. They don't know what true love is. Love is only seen in the face of God. And I realize that, you know, even now in our own backyard, there are people living in darkness and in ignorance. The world is in great need because everyone's holding a broken compass, thinking they are heading south when they are traveling south, when tra thinking they're heading north when they're traveling south. And so today, the truth of the matter is our world is no different than the time of Jonah. You remember the end of Jonah when he's commanded to go and to preach the gospel, to preach repentance in Nineveh. And God says, don't you know that there are 120,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left hand? They're ignorant, they're blind, they're in darkness. So this is the reason why we're here. Why did we move? Why are we here? We are here because the world is decaying and in darkness. But secondly, what the world needs. What does the world need? Here's our second point. Consider again, Jesus makes two statements of facts. You are the salt to the earth in verse 13, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Now, he doesn't tell followers what we should strive to be. These are present identities we have, not future aspirations we should pursue. And so as salt, Jesus doesn't want us to lose our saltiness. As the light, he doesn't want us to hide under a basket. And basically he's saying what the world needs is that my followers live as God has called you and made you to be. Because otherwise, we are of no use to him and into the world that God has sent us to. And this means that while we are in the world, not of the world, but in the world as salt and light, the world needs us to adopt a strategy not of survival, but a strategy of presence. Now, what do I mean by that? A strategy of survival is when we only think about our own well-being and our own safety as a church and as Christians, and we recoil or we withdraw from the things we perceive to be dangerous in the world. The idea that, that we don't want to be contaminated or polluted by what's out there. And so we gather in this holy huddle in this as a frozen, chosen group, and we disengage from the world for the sake of self-preservation. And you know, many churches, when they get too comfortable, they drift into this survival mode. They lose the sense of mission. They lose the sense of what God is calling us to be and they withdraw only to themselves. And Jesus is warning us against that, against this temptation. We're in verse 15. Look at it with me. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
No, he's saying you need an intentional strategy of placement and presence to be a light that makes a difference. That's why you put this lamp on a stand. You don't put it under a basket. That's strategic. The goal isn't only preservation. The goal is to be maximally effective and beneficial to the world. If I take a flashlight and I cover it with a towel, is the flashlight still shining? Absolutely it is. The light is still light. But do you know what the flashlight is not doing? It's not helping anybody. It's not beneficial. It's illuminating no darkness. It's just wasting battery. And so Jesus says a lamp shouldn't be placed where nobody sees it or where its effectiveness is, is covered. The lamp should be strategically placed. It must be placed somewhere where it can have an impact for many. It can actually benefit people. And so Jesus continues in verse 15. So you put it on a stand. For what reason? And it gives light to all in the house. You know, think about this. When we met in Chalfant, were we the light of the world? Absolutely we were. We're not more light now that we're in Lansdale than we were when we were in Chalfant. But what has changed? I believe now we're placed on a stand where more people can benefit from the light that emanates from the church. More people are helped. More in the house can now see. Do you remember that scene from the third Lord of the Rings movie, uh, The Return of the King? And in this scene, uh, when the beacons of uh, Minas Tirith are lit, if you know the scene, uh, the, the, they have this beacon system, and it was a way for Gondor uh, to call out for aid to, to all those in need of, uh, to, to all those who are ready to help them. And the way it worked is that there were these large fire pits on top of mountain summits where men were permanently stationed at all hours of the day. And when one beacon is lit, those miles away would see the fire, and they would would then in turn light their beacon and so on and so forth until the signal was received. And if you watch the movie, the, the sequence unfolds, you know, the camera, it pans this dark snowy mountainous landscape and you see one beacon flickering in the darkness and it triggers the next and the fires continue all throughout the land until Rohan receives the call to aid and, and this amazing scene when the first uh, beacon is lit and Gandalf is looking at out into the distance, waiting to see if anyone will respond. And he sees the second beacon, lit, uh, second beacon lit. He says, as only Gandalf can say, hope is kindled. As they're waiting for aid, and they see the response of this tiny light flickering in the distance, hope is kindled. And it's a wonderful and powerful scene that I had to rewatch on YouTube this week, and I was just crying <laughs> as I was watching it. Go watch it yourself. What does the world need? It needs us to be light. It needs us to be a beacon that shines in the darkness and signals to the world hope is kindled. Why? Because aid has come in Jesus Christ. And just like those beacons were strategically placed on the mountain summits, they weren't lit in caves. If they were lit in caves, nobody else would see it. 
In the same way, our move here was strategic to be present in this neighborhood and in this community because we moved, as Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. The most exposure. You know, we want to be a city on a hill so others can see the light. So then how do we creatively and, and winsomely engage in, in the issues and the concerns and, and the celebrations of this area and not withdraw? And I believe it's to participate and promote the physical and spiritual flourishing of everybody to do good works that bring thriving to the area. That's what Jesus says in verse 16, isn't it? In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We shine the light as we do good works. And these aren't just good works we do among ourselves and good works we do for one another. I think we abound as a church in those kinds of good works. But as we spread out to do good works that will help others, that we spread out to do good works that will bear fruit in the community. You know, just this past week, again, I felt like the Lord gave us a perfect illustration of this, of, of how unhelpful it is when, when salt gathers together and only does good work for itself rather than salt spreading out and doing good work to everybody. Remember this past uh, Wednesday evening into Thursday. It was particularly freezing. The temperatures dropped uh, so cold into the single digits, everything froze over. And in order to prepare for, for those icy road conditions, you saw these trucks out, these salt trucks going out all evening. And as they drive along, what are they doing? They're spreading salt out as much as possible. They're, they're covering as much ground as they can. Now, what good would it be if, 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 you're, if you're in your driveway and you see a, a salt truck pull up into your neighborhood, and as soon as he pulls up, he unloads all of the salt, he just dumps it on the ground, and he drives off? What good would that salt just clump together do? No good at all. The salt needs to be spread out, strategically placed so that everyone can benefit. And so in the same way, which strategy will be more effective for us as a church? Which strategy does the world need us to employ? Is it a strategy of survival where we're all clumped together and we're just making sure we're doing good works for one another and helping each other out? Or is it a strategy of presence where we are engaged and involved with the community, both in declaring and demonstrating the gospel? You know, the world needs us, the church, to be the salt and light that hasn't lost its saltiness and to be the light that isn't hidden. And so if I can just make this announcement, this is why we're starting the community engagement committee. If you don't know what that means, I mean, it, we, we were calling it outreach committee, but, but more than just outreach, we want to engage the community. And this is why we need people to, to, to help join and, and, and to continue to strategize how we can be effective salt and light in the world. And then we strategize, we execute, and then we pray with all of our might that anyone who sees our good works will give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And this leads to our third and last point. Who needs, the, who the world needs. Who the world needs. The, the world desperately needs Christians to live as God has called them to be. Right, not as we prefer to be, but who God has called us to be. The world needs us to shine in the darkness, needs us to be salt that hasn't lost saltiness. But it's not actually us who the world needs. 
Who the world needs is not the lowercase s salt or the lowercase l light that we are. What the world needs is the true salt and the true light that has come into the world and has given up his life to reverse the decay of the world and to set people free from the darkness. You see, the world needs us to be salt and light, but who does the world actually need? The world needs Jesus. Lansdale needs Jesus. They need the salt that never loses his saltiness. They need the light whose radiance cannot be covered or hidden, even when he's crucified and thrown into a tomb. Jesus is the one the world needs. Jesus is the one we need. You see, this is, this is why Jesus didn't just tell us what was wrong with the world, but he actually came to deal with us and our problems. Jesus didn't just take the first step. Jesus didn't just take a second or third step. Jesus went all the way. He came to restore and redeem us from the decay and the darkness of sin because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. You know, when we purchased this building, we, of course, hired a structural engineer, and he did this full building inspection that took, I don't know, four or five, six hours. And when he finished his inspection, he handed us a very thorough 39-page report. And then he left. You see, his job was done. All he came to do was point out the areas of decay, the areas of damage. He informed us of what he saw, and then he left. That was his job. His job was done. And then we had to hire other people to address those concerns because we couldn't do those ourselves. So we hired a plumber to fix the, the issues with the pipes and, and some people with electricians to, to fix some of the electrical wires and then contractors who came and did all this other work. And then finally, at the end of that job, they didn't just leave. We had to pay them for the work that was done. So one person came and he diagnosed the issues. Then another person came and fixed the problems. And then a third person had to pay for it all. But when Jesus comes into the world, he does everything for us because he knows we're helpless and unable to do it on our own. He diagnosed the decay and darkness of the world. He went to the cross to defeat and reverse all of sin's effects. And then he paid for it at the cost of his own life, which he gladly laid down. Friends, this is who the world ultimately needs. Somebody who would sacrificially give up their lives, give up his life because he is the salt. He is the true light. But here's the thing. It's so easy, isn't it, and tempting for us to say, yeah, that's why the world needs Jesus. That's why they need Jesus. That's why it's easy for us to go out those front doors and look at that apartment building and say, all of them, they need Jesus. When in reality, even as Christians, we don't stop needing Jesus even after we're saved. You see, just as we needed Jesus to be salt that reversed the decay in our lives, and just as we needed Jesus to be the light that invaded our darkness and set us free, we continually need Jesus because it's only when we're united to him that then we can live as salt and light too. You're called to be salt and light, and you're given the power to live as such only when you are united to Christ from which you receive this identity and receive his power. You can only ever be effective salt when you are united to the one who never loses his saltiness. You can only be emanating light when you're united to the true light of the world. 
You cannot be salt on your own. You cannot be light on your own. And just as we needed Jesus to first come into our lives to save us from our decay and deliver us from darkness, we need Jesus to empower us so that we can be salt and light. Apart from him, you are nothing. You can be nothing. But in him, you are salt and light. Now, as I close, let me close with this reflection. Here is my assessment of, of our church. This is where I get real honest. I'm just kidding. You know, we are a small and humble church. And uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, this church, this congregation, has never been over 100, 100 members, 100 people uh, in, in almost the 20 years that we've been a church. Uh, and in my two years of, of being your pastor, uh, I've never heard people share uh, great aspirations of, of, of the dreams that Cornerstone would be the next big thing and the next mega church and the next... Covenant Church in Doylestown or the next, you know, whatever church there is. I've never heard grumbles of discontentment or complaints. You know, why aren't we bigger? And why aren't we better? And why aren't we more beautiful? You know, I feel like the general sentiment is if we grow, that's great. If God wants us to give us that blessing, that's great. But I, but I think for many, if, if we don't grow, I think that's okay too. I mean, if you think about it, uh, when we bought this building, uh, we knew it couldn't fit more than 110 people. Right, that, that wasn't a mistake we discovered later. That's not like going to the store and being lazy and not wanting to try on pants and say, oh, that'll fit me, and you go home and you put them on and you realize that it only you know, goes into one leg. It, it, it wasn't that kind of mistake. We bought the building, we came in and we went, oh man, this can't hold a lot of people. We were fully aware of that. We, we didn't buy the building because of its great seating capacity. We also didn't buy the building because of, of the convenience. Oh, we don't have to set up and, and break down every week. You know, to be honest, it'll be more work to maintain this building and take ownership of it, to clean it, to clean the bathrooms, to keep everything in stock. It's, it's less convenient. It's more work. We didn't buy this building because it, it would be cheaper for us. You know, with the utilities and the maintenance costs, it's actually going to be pretty close to the rent that we were paying at the other church. So then, why did we buy this building? You may be thinking, man, the, the leadership just sounds really unwise <laughs> after hearing this. And it just sounds like we're foolish, but, you know, that's not it at all. We bought this building, we transitioned into the neighborhood so that we ha could have a place to be salt and light. Where we can do good works and set it on a stand so that others can see it and give glory to our Father in heaven. And we moved into land sales so we could more strategically and more presently be a light in a dark place. Because my greatest fear, my worst nightmare as a pastor, is that we would just be flashlights huddled together to brighten up an already lit room. What good would we be? Rather, we want to take this gospel, this hope of Jesus Christ, and to invade the darkness and to preserve the world from decaying. You know, this is our vision starting today. February 3rd, 2019. This is our vision. This is our fuel. This is our trajectory. This is our goal. This is our aim. This is the answer to why are we here.
If you were walking to church and a neighbor comes out and says, why did you move into this neighborhood? Oh, we really wanted to get out of the old building. Oh, we really wanted a, a morning service. Oh, we really wanted to own something. Oh, we really find Lansdale cute. No, why are you here? We are here to be salt and light. So the question is no longer why are we here? But there's still one more question that I have for you, which is this. Are you on board with this? Will this vision become your vision? Are you ready to be salt that's scattered to hinder the decay of the world? Are you ready to be light that breaks into the darkest corners of Lansdale? Because if you are, then let us be what the world needs us to be. And then let us give the answer to who the world needs. And may the Spirit, by His grace, make us salt and light for the good of Lansdale and unto the glory of God. Let's pray.